We're in the book of Acts. Uh, when Pastor and I were toying around with this idea of preaching Sunday evenings, there were a couple books that were thrown around, uh, books that Pastor hasn't uh, preached through um, recently. He's preached through all of them, but not uh, in the last couple years or so. So we were talking about Philippians, we were talking about Romans, uh, and Acts came up. And we decided to go ahead with that and preach through the book of Acts. It's a very important book for the church. Um, pretty much everything that we get as far as how the church is to be structured, even the mission of the church, uh, we find here in this book. Uh, I don't know if Pastor knew this, but the last time I preached through a book, it was Ephesians, and I took the better part of a year with that, uh, and that's six chapters, and the book of Acts is 28 chapters, so I'll let you do the math on how long we're going to be going through this study. Uh, but we're just going to wrestle with the first couple verses here this evening. So Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Um, a lot of times when you're doing an introduction for a book, you need to kind of step outside the text for a little bit and give a little bit of the, the context that's going around geographically, uh, maybe even secularly, in order for you to come to that book with the knowledge that you need in order to interpret it properly. Uh, for us, it's actually a unique book, uh, the book of Acts, that we have all that. We have pretty much all that we need for an introduction right in the prologue uh, of the text here. So that's what we're going to be wrestling with this week and next week as well. So Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, we'll read and then we'll pray and then we'll study it together. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach, until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we are thankful, Lord, that we can gather this evening. Uh, Lord, that we have uh, good enough roads that each one of us were able to, to make it out here. And we do thank you for your, your providence and uh, safety of travel for those who came farther along today. And, and I pray that you would just be with us as we even head home tonight. You keep us safe there. Uh, but Lord, we're so thankful that we're here. Uh, I pray that you would be with us, uh, Lord, as we wrestle uh, with these verses and as we look at this book for the foreseeable future. Uh, I pray that we would grow. Uh, Lord, I, I pray that as a church uh, that we would see things that, that maybe uh, we need to change, maybe some things that even individually uh, we need to consider. Uh, Lord, maybe even tonight as we talk about the church continuing the ministry of Jesus, I pray that you would help us to understand uh, what we're talking about tonight, uh, that your Holy Spirit would be moving in our hearts, uh, that we would be encouraged, that we would be guided into all truth as we know the Holy Spirit is meant to do in our lives. Uh, but Lord, I, I do pray that if we need to be convicted, we would do so as well. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would just rid us of all distractions that might be in our minds, that we'd be able to focus on your word this evening. And Lord, I do pray that the words of my lips, the meditation of my heart, that it would be pleasing unto you, O God. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I said, uh, the book of Acts, a very important book. Maybe, uh, you know, all, all books of the Bible are important, but I would say it holds a special place uh, when it comes to the church. Uh, how we are to govern the church. What we are to be about. Uh, 
what kind of ministries should a local church be partaking in? Are there ministries that we shouldn't be partaking in? Uh, all of that's really found in the book of Acts. Uh, one uh, commentarian, Stuart Custer, uh, he wrote a great commentary on the book of Acts. He said, Acts is the central link that connects the history of Christ in the Gospels with the doctrinal explanations of the epistles. So this is, this is really after the risen Christ, uh, you know, we're going to see his ascension here in a little bit, um, but after he rises from the dead, there's really like this what now moment with the church. And if we didn't have this book, uh, we would be left wondering what now. Uh, Sure, we see the epistles and we see a lot of theology in the epistles, but we don't actually see the actions as much. And of course, as you know from from the title of the book, there are a lot of the actions that are listed for us. Uh, So it's a very important book. Uh, But it's not the first book that this writer has written. Look in the first verse here. In the first book... O Theophilus. Now, most of you probably know that this book was written by Luke. And so when he's referencing the first book, he's talking about the gospel that he wrote. So let's hop back there just for a couple minutes. So keep one finger in the book of Acts. We'll be back. Uh, But if you go back to Luke chapter 1, and I'll just read verses 1 through 4. So we understand that the book of Acts is the sequel Uh, to the gospel of Luke. And as much as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who, notice the wording, from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. So this, this really gives us uh, as, as much introduction as we really need when we come to the book of Acts. Because here he tells us what the book was written for. He even tells uh, who is writing it. He, he says who he's writing it to. Uh, everything that we need is right here. So we know that Luke is a doctor. Most of you probably knew that before you came into this tonight. Uh, so if you know doctors, they're pretty detail-oriented people, or at least when they're, uh, they, they put on that white coat, they become detail-oriented people. Um, and, and Luke follows right with that. He says that he wants to write an orderly account. Why? Because he's followed all things closely for some time. Uh, now he wants to write an orderly account for Theophilus. Orderly. Uh, we see that through the book of Luke. Uh, over and over again, we see uh, this happened. The next day, this happened. Uh, and then he traveled to this place. It's very detail-oriented, uh, showing locations, showing time. Acts is the same way. I said for you to keep a finger there, uh, and I meant it. Uh, we're going to kind of bounce around between these two books here for a minute. All right, in, the, in uh, Acts chapter 1, uh, look, look at just even the verses that we read. In the first book, so order... Right there, uh, we, we see uh, until the day, uh, until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands. L- notice the wording, until the day, after uh, 40 days where he's teaching about the kingdom of God. There's order to this book. And why is there order? Well, if we go back to Luke, it gives us the purpose of both of these books. That you, Theophilus, uh, I'm not going to really dive deep on who that was. Uh, the, the word means lover of God. Uh, and he calls him 
um, most honorable or most excellent Theophilus. Uh, so he was probably some kind of uh, uh, Roman uh, government official, uh, but we don't have any clue past that. Uh, but he was a follower of Christ, and he's been taught these things. And Luke writes both the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts so that Theophilus could have certainty. So that he can know that these things that he has been taught, they weren't just made up. Uh, that they weren't just uh, some tales that some fishermen got together and made up and, and started promoting everywhere. And that he's been duped or um, swayed by these people. Uh, he wants to know that there is some validity to what he has been taught. And so that's why we see all this, uh, this talk about eyewitnesses. And that's what we see in the book of Acts as well. We see eyewitnesses, people who were with Jesus from the very beginning. Even the first real struggle that we see. Who's going to replace Judas? Who is it going to be? Not some random guy who just became a follower. No, someone who was there at the very beginning when Jesus picked us. We want someone from that time who's been with us the whole time. Why? Because they need to know uh, all the things that Jesus did and he taught. All right, so I would say that Luke's first purpose in writing the the book of Acts is first historical. Uh, He wants to give an account of what happened with the church. When Jesus rises from the dead, what now? What did the church do? So Luke's purpose in writing Acts is first historical. All right, so in the first book, O Theophilus, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach. All right, so this isn't uh, what all that Jesus did and taught. Notice the wording, began. All right, so um, we have to ask ourselves, what, what do you mean by that? Because Jesus, uh, he's, we don't have any of the teaching from the 40 days, so I don't think he's talking about that. All right, and he's going to ascend very quickly. He's only going to say a few things. So why, why would he use that wording to say began? Well, the point there is that Jesus is continuing to do and to teach, even when he is ascended into heaven. How does that happen? Well, it happens through you, through the church. Um, it, it would happen through our proclamation of his word. That is how Jesus continues to have ministry in this world. Yes, he is our defendant uh, before God, before the accuser. Uh, He is our mediator. He fulfills a lot of different responsibilities even now. But in this world, his ministry is through the local church. Uh, That's why it's so important. It's not just some ritual that we do of coming in on Sunday morning, coming in on Sunday evening. It's that important that you, being the local church, are continuing the very work of Jesus Christ. It's important. All right, so I would say that uh, first, his purpose is historical. And then second, uh, his purpose is also ministerial. Uh, It's to help us know what we are supposed to do and teach. What that looks like for the local church to continue the ministry of Jesus Christ. Which leads me then, uh, I don't like the title of Acts. Uh, That's not inspired. The the title uh, isn't inspired. That's something that later scribes came up with and then called it the Acts of the Apostles. Uh, The rest of it is inspired, surely. But the title isn't. 
Uh, I like the way John Stott titled it. Uh, He said that it should be called the continuing words and deeds of Jesus by his spirit through the church. I really like that. It's the continuing words, the, the things that Jesus taught and the things that Jesus did. And sometimes we get into a problem uh, with evangelicalism of uh, misbalancing those of the deeds and the teachings. All right? But continuing all of that by the Spirit, so it's not through our own power, but it is done by us. So Luke's purpose is in writing Acts is historical and ministerial, which leads us to a problem. A big problem that a lot of people face when they try to interpret this kind of difficult book in some ways. Is the book of Acts descriptive or prescriptive? Is it normative? Meaning, is it the normal way things are supposed to happen for the local church? For those believers who are going to continue the ministry of Jesus Christ, is everything in Acts normative? Is it the way that it should be all the time? Should we take it as uh, a history book? That's the descriptive part. And we would have to say that, yes, the book of Acts is history, right? It did happen. Um, But is it just that? Well, some people would say yes. And, And a problem that they would run into are things like, well, maybe deacons were just for those people. It was just recorded history. Uh, that, that when in Acts chapter 6 and they have this problem uh, uh, of the Greek widows not being ministered to and this problem of serving tables, it was just their problem. And so it's descriptive. It doesn't mean that we have to have deacons today. That's a problem that they would run into. Of course, we would argue then, as uh, Paul tells Timothy, all scripture is inspired. It's breathed out by God. And what is it profitable? Is it profitable just for history? No, it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Uh, So we would say, no, it cannot just be descriptive. But there's also another problem of looking at the book of Acts and saying that it's prescriptive always. Um, You know, we have an annual business meeting coming up. I don't know if there's going to be officers elected, uh, but do we elect our officers by casting lots? Is, is that, should that be the way that we elect officers? Uh, meaning deacons and elders and things like that. No, of course not, right? None of us would, would really argue for that. If you, if you do want to argue about that, you can see me after, I guess. There might be one person, all right? Uh, but that's not the normal way we would want to do that. No, we, we have meetings and we vote and all of that. All right, um, another problem that this would lead to All right, well, in Acts chapter 2, when people repent and believe in Jesus Christ, they speak in tongues. All right, uh, later, we have different, we have three different instances uh, of different people groups speaking in tongues. Is that normative? Should you, when you become a believer in Jesus Christ, always speak in tongues? Well, if you're reading the book of Acts as always prescriptive, that would have to be your conclusion. See, you run into a problem when you do either. So I would say believing Acts is either solely descriptive or prescriptive will uh, inevitably result in misunderstanding either the Holy Spirit and or the church. Uh, You're either going to run into a problem of not understanding how the Holy Spirit ministers or you're going to misunderstand what the church is supposed to do. Uh, So what do we do? Well, I would say while Acts is always descriptive, it is always history, it's factually correct, 
when do we know when it's supposed to be prescriptive? That's the tough question. Well, if you're taking notes, I, I give four reasons. I, I give four reasons. If you fit into these four categories, I think you can say that, yes, this is prescriptive. Um, and, and I would say the first three are far more important than the fourth. All right, number one, when it's stated as, uh, as doctrine. When it's stated as doctrine, you take it as doctrine. Uh, in the book of Acts, we have 11 different sermons. It's mostly the reason why we're not going to spend... If you calculated the Ephesians thing, and, and uh, the reason why we're not going to spend four years in this book is because a lot of it is narrative, and a lot of it is sermons, 11, uh, 11 sermons. We have three by Peter, one by Stephen, seven from Paul. Uh, when they preach, we're going to stop, and we're going to look at the doctrine that is in their sermons. Uh, soteriology, how, uh, how we get saved, what is the process of it? What does it look like to be truly uh, saved, to be a believer? Uh, we find a lot of doctrine clearly stated in the sermons. So when it's stated as doctrine, we take it as doctrine. When it's commanded, when it's a, a direct command uh, from one of the apostles, we're not just talking about all right, uh, some, some random guy in the marketplace commands something that we all do that. All right? But when one of the apostles commands this to be done, an example of that would be in chapter 2, verse 38. What must we do to be saved? Repent and be baptized and you will be saved. Meaning repent, that's where salvation happens and then you must be baptized. That's a command. Uh, so uh, yes, repentance is commanded. If you understand the gospel, you must repent in order to be saved. And then after that, you should be baptized. That is a command. Uh, so that's why we can say that is prescriptive, that uh, believer's baptism is very important because it was commanded. So we take it as doctrine. All right, when it's found in other scripture. So going back to that example of deacons. Uh, well, the reason why we can know that it wasn't just for them is first off, the same problem happens with us. Uh, we, we, our pastor can't do everything, right? I was glad to see someone shoveling this morning. Uh, that our pastor shouldn't have to do all of those responsibilities. He should be focused, just as the apostles were, to the preaching of the word and prayer. Um, side, that's a side note, I guess. All right, But uh, the reason why we can say that we need deacons is not just because of context, but because it's commanded elsewhere. Well, of course, we have 1 Timothy chapter 3, where we have the qualifications for godly deacons. And a godly deacon should meet every one of those qualifications. Uh, it's... Uh, so we can say, yes, we are to have deacons. Why? Because we find it elsewhere in Scripture as well. And fourth, and I would say this, those first three, they're the important ones. This fourth one uh, may be a little bit more lenient with it. But when our context fits, uh, an example of this, I think, would be in Acts chapter 2, verses 44 through 45. Uh, when they had all things in common. Don't worry, Dean isn't going to be a communist. Um, but... If there was persecution like it was for them, I would like to think that we as believers and as a church uh, would gather together. And if there was someone who needed something, that we would pool our resources and help that individual. I, I would say that our context would then fit with their context. And we can say we are supposed to do this. We should have all things in common. Happens in China. It happens in other places 
uh, where uh, the gospel is being persecuted and Christians are dying for their faith and they need one another, not just in a spiritual way, but in an actual physical, tangible way, financially even. All right, so I would say those are the four ways that you can know uh, when the book of Acts is to be prescriptive. It's always descriptive. It's always factually correct. But when should we know it applies to me? When should we know it applies to our church when it meets those four qualifications? All right, so we get, um, you know, what this is really about, this book. We get a little bit of one of the issues, uh, but we also get some of the themes. And we'll see if we can go through the first three themes tonight. But I want you to look at verse 2 once again. Until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. We're going to see uh, in really the first five verses, we have the four most prominent themes throughout the book of Acts. The first one being the theme of the authority of the apostles. Despite what you might see on TV uh, and people claiming to be maybe even on the radio, there were only, if we were to go 14 apostles, All right, uh, if we're going to include Judas before he made his terrible mistake. All right, we, those are the apostles, and those are the ones who hold authority. Now, why do they hold authority? Because like Luke said, they were there from the very beginning. Uh, they were handpicked by Jesus. You were not in that way. All right, people on TV, people on the radio, they were not handpicked by Jesus to fulfill a certain ministry like this. All right, so um, we see the, the source of this authority. It's not just because Peter's really great or, or uh, because Bartholomew, you know, Ooh, Bart is a great teacher or something like that. No, uh, it's because of the source of their authority comes from Jesus. All right, look at, look at the wording here. Until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands, Jesus being the he, he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. All right, look at, look at the, um, the line uh, of descent that's happening here. The commands are given by Jesus, by the Spirit, to the apostles, and just so that we're in the clear, whom he had chosen. All right, so it's not just some random guy in the church, but there's a specific line of people that are given authority and given the commands. It's a special office. Uh, Luke really hits on that. Uh, he calls these guys apostles uh, twice as much as any of the other gospel writers. Uh, he, that's his preferred title uh, for them, apostle. So what's the, what's the purpose there? I think what he's trying to do is go back to Theophilus. And I think we could put ourselves in that because I would like to think that we're lovers of God. Uh, and that's what Theophilus means. That you can have certainty... Uh, because this authority of the apostles, the things that they did, the things that they taught, it wasn't just their own ideas. It wasn't their own philosophy or how they thought, maybe this is how the world should work. But they got that from Jesus. That's where their authority comes from. So Theophilus, your faith isn't based on the, on the merit of fishermen, but God. Theme number two. Look how he continues. Verse 3, He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by 
many proofs, appearing to them during the 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Theme number two, the reality of the risen Christ. That's something that we're going to see over and over and over again, especially in the sermons. Uh, that Jesus, He's not dead. And we can be certain of that because of all these proofs. Some of the proofs would be like Him eating the fish or showing Thomas the holes in His hands or uh, 1 Corinthians 15 of showing up to hundreds of people. It, it wasn't just a few fishermen that said, yeah, yeah, um, take my word for it. Jesus, he's, he's alive. No, hundreds of people saw Him by many proofs. Uh, and not just many proofs, but over a long period of time. How many days was he there? 40. Now, some people take that and say all these spiritual things go back to Noah and all these different things. Uh, But I think really the purpose of that is to say this is legit. It wasn't that he was just kind of slowly bleeding out and then he died. No, he, he rose again and he was there for 40 whole days ministering, preaching, showing himself to people. And so we can have certainty that, yes, uh, Christ has risen. All right, theme number three. And uh, we'll probably end with this one here. We go to 705, right? Yeah, roughly. All right. Appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about what? The kingdom of God. Theme number four. Or theme number three, sorry. The kingdom of God. Now, this is the main theme of Jesus' teaching, right? I think we would all agree on that. It's the thing he talks about the most. But what is it? Have you ever tried to give a definition of the kingdom of God? Because people talk about it in really interesting ways, and I'm putting that nicely. All right, uh, what is the kingdom of God? Uh, Even as a theologian, as a guy who has a seminary degree, I was still baffled by what does it actually mean, uh, the kingdom of God. I did a big study last year uh, figuring it out. Uh, what, what actually does that mean? Because people talk about it, and there's one way to view it. A lot of people do it this way, of thinking, well, that must be just the millennial kingdom of Revelation chapter 20. Uh, that that's the kingdom of God. And a lot of dispensationalists who I would fit into that category... Uh, would say, well, uh, in uh, the Gospels, uh, specifically the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus is uh, he's there, he's offering the kingdom to the, to the Jews, and they reject him, and so the kingdom is withheld until Revelation chapter 20. Uh, can we say that? Is that really what the kingdom is? Well, I, I don't think so. Here's the reason. Jesus says that the kingdom is present during his ministry. He says that it's at hand. He even says once that it's among you. In other words, it's right here. Uh, he's not saying it's um, thousands, or, well, yeah, two, at least 2,000 years out and, and, and that we have to wait for the kingdom. He says it's present right now. Repent. Why? For the kingdom of God is at hand. All right? Uh, so there's a real present sense to the kingdom. Uh, the epistles say that Jesus has brought us as Christians into the kingdom. Brought, not future, but past. So it's something that happened to us. We are part of the kingdom of God right now, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ. Revelation chapter 5 says that Jesus is worthy. Notice Revelation chapter 5, 15 chapters before Revelation chapter 20. All right. 
Jesus is worthy as the Lamb to be worshipped. Why? Because out of all the nations, all the different peoples, He made us into a kingdom. Past. So no, I don't think that it's only the millennial kingdom of Revelation chapter 20. I don't think that we can also say what a lot of people say is that it's only a spiritual kingdom within the heart. Uh, The Old Testament declares that God rules over all creation. It says that his throne has been established. So he's king already. And he's ruling. Psalm 103 uh, verse 19 says that he rules over all creation. Um, uh, Jesus speaks about a tangible location near at hand come upon you. These are locations, not time. And Revelation chapter 11 says that his kingdom will swallow up. And I love the wording there will swallow up the earth. That God's kingdom is going to win out in a physical location. He doesn't say within the souls of men. He says the earth. Now, certainly there are men there, but it talks about even uh, the coat of arms for Canada. Do you know what that is? Uh, Psalm chapter 72, verse 8. From sea to sea. That's talking about the kingdom of God. And that his rule will be from sea to sea. His dominion will reign over all the earth. So I don't believe that we can say it's just a spiritual kingdom in the heart. So what is the kingdom? This is my point of view. The kingdom of God is the eternal and sovereign rule of God throughout all reality. All right, so it's not just us, but he reigns and he rules over the cosmos, over everything, as Psalm 103.19 says. So the kingdom of God is the eternal So it's always been, and it's sovereign. There's no thwarting God's rule. Um, The sovereign rule of God throughout all reality. So what happened in the garden is that we see the kingdom there. We see a ruler, right? We see God the Father there. And we see a realm, right? The garden. And we see um, uh, people who should be allegiant to the king, right? Adam and Eve. And we see law given, The rule of the king. And so when man fails, eats of that fruit, falls, what really is happening here, and what is the theme of all of Scripture, it's not just what Jesus was teaching, it's actually uh, frequent uh, throughout the Old Testament, the kingdom of God, that what happened there was that man became a rogue city-state. Uh, we rebelled against the king and declared our own independence right there. And then all of history, all of redemption history, is the king doing whatever it takes to get those people back, to reconcile them back into the kingdom by even his own death. It's a pretty good king. And that's why the kingdom is actually even called the gospel. Frequently, it's called the gospel of the kingdom of God. It's not just a part of the good news. It is the good news. Uh, it is the good news that you as a, as a rebellious sinner can be reconciled back into the kingdom because of what Jesus Christ did 
on the cross. The establishing act of that kingdom. So that's three of the themes. And that third theme, the good news is that you can belong to the kingdom and enjoy the benefits of citizenship. Namely, eternal life and fellowship with the king. Fourth prominent theme we'll talk about next time because we don't have the time. But as application tonight, uh, I hope that you get excited about uh, going through the book of Acts. Um, But um, what you need to take away is that you have an important ministry. Um, Us here at Moose Jaw Baptist Church have an important ministry. Why? Because it's Jesus' ministry. Uh, There is responsibility. That's a hefty thing to say. uh, That what we do as a church, it matters because it's Jesus' ministry. Uh, that we are continuing, uh, not just uh, in a sort of legacy kind of way, but we are actually continuing the things that he did, the things that he taught. We continue in doing that. Uh, It's a hefty responsibility, but it's joyful. You love Jesus? You get to partake in his ministry. You get to continue that good work. Uh, So that's why I believe the... Um, the book of Acts, I think, will be very beneficial for us as we move on. All right, let's pray, and I think we'll just be done. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for this night. I pray that you would uh, just be with us as a church as we look uh, in the next coming months, uh, looking at the book of Acts and looking at uh, what does it mean to be a biblical and healthy church? What does it mean to continue the ministry of Jesus Christ uh, to be about? what he was doing and teaching, that we would continue in that. Lord, I pray that you give us joy in doing that, uh, uh, that we would not do it out of uh, just guilt, although we do have a hefty responsibility to do it. Uh, But Lord, we love you. We love your son. And we want to continue doing the things that he told us to, uh, the commands that we have. And Lord, I thank you uh, for for this line that we have uh, of you commanding by the Spirit to the apostles whom you had chosen uh, so that we can continue in them. Lord, I pray that you just bless everyone here, that you keep us safe as we head home. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.